You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Working? It is a it is a gift from God. And with great joy that we have Dave and Rosemary Konigsberg to come and teach us and share with us the word of God that he has given to his heart. Please receive Dave and Rosemary. Am I on? Can you hear me? Test one, two. Well, we'll, we'll see if it works here. <clears throat> Well, let me, uh, before I go any further, I just want to thank, say thanks for allowing me to come speak with you. Um, I am a retired pastor. Uh, I live in Hampton, Iowa, and uh, I've been pastoring, I had been pastoring for 32 years uh, before I retired a year and a half ago. And uh, so I spent uh, the first 16 years of my pastorate in uh, Burwell, Nebraska, uh, in a, uh, a little Baptist church over there. And actually, it became, started off little and became big church. Um, uh, and then we moved to Hampton, Iowa, where uh, I pastored for 16 years. Um, I grew up on a farm, so I'm just an old farm boy. That's all I am. Um, I was uh, uh, actually, uh, the farm is just south of Chapin, about a quarter mile. And so I'm kind of back to my old stomping grounds, which I never, never wanted to be. Um, this is not where I wanted to be. But the Lord seems to have different ideas about how to make our lives work. And so... Uh, um, I, I uh, grew up on a farm, I went to Iowa State University, graduated in education, and uh, went and taught uh, at a school in Riceville, Iowa for seven years in industrial technology or industrial arts. And so I'm, a, I'm kind of a hands-on guy. Um, I, think, uh, like, I think like a farmer sometimes. Um, I'm very rational, very logical, very, it's got to fit together for me to, to make it work for myself. And so... Uh, when God called me to the ministry when I was uh, in, in, in teaching, um, I told him I didn't want to do that. I um, was, wasn't interested. Because um, when I thought about pastors, I thought about black books and black suits and, and you know, kind of stoic fellows. And uh, I said, that's just not me. And, and he said to me, you know, Dave, I don't want you to be somebody you're not. I just want you to be who you are. And so this morning, you get me just the way I am. Um, I had a bunch of slides, and you can start with the first one up there. Uh, <clears throat> uh, some slides, and uh, we were trying to get them all to pull together, and uh, it just wasn't, I mean, you'll have them here, but I won't have my helps, and so I'm just going to share what the Spirit of God has laid on my heart, okay? Um, I believe in the Word of God. I believe it is, uh, it is the truth, and it's the only thing that really we have to stand on uh, in our world today. So in my office, there was a little sign um, on, on the back wall that says, uh, water the seeds, pull the weeds. Water the seeds, pull the weeds. Now, I'm not a gardener, okay? My wife is a gardener. Rosemary loves to garden. Uh, but you can always tell when you're in a garden whether the person is a gardener or not because if they're a gardener, they've given the, the plants water and they have pulled the weeds. In my gardens, when I remember doing that, um, there was always, at the end of the season, there was always more weeds than good plants. And they outnumbered them. 
uh, and, and as a result, the harvest was that way. Um, I think that, uh, uh, that pulling the weeds and watering the seeds is really important. It's a good spiritual principle also. But I also spent the last two weeks in the, in the field with a farmer. I was running a grain cart for a guy, which I'll tell you a story later on about that. Um, and uh, in the process of being in the fields, you can tell where, the, where there has been water and where there has not been water. You can tell where the weeds have been pulled and been taken care of and where the weeds have not been taken care of because as the combine runs across the field, the yields go down when there's no water and, and when there's lots of weeds and the yields go up where there's lots of water and there's no weeds. And so fruit is related to watering the seeds and pulling the weeds. And so this morning, um, as we walk through this passage of scripture, <clears throat> I'd like us to water some seeds. That is the truth. So make the truth come up in our lives and to pull some weeds because no matter where we're at in our lives, including pastors, by the way, we all have weeds in our life. That, and I'll just call that sin in our life that we need to be pulling. And so uh, I just want you to think with me a little bit because we're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, and you can turn there in your Bibles. We'll have it on the screen here in a minute too. But we live in a culture of... Uh, Weeds and drought. Uh, we have all kinds of sexual immorality in our, in our world. We have uh, all kinds of lack of integrity. And by that I mean lies that are spread all the time and no one ever questions the lie. And when we do question the lie, say, so, well, that's just my, that's my reality. And so we have no integrity in our lives. We have no, no morality in the culture we live in. We live in a culture that is... Uh, that's permeated with the love of money, for the love of self, for the pleasure that we can get out of everyday life. And everything revolves around me, around who I am and what I think is real and what I think is truth. And, and if you disagree with me, then you're wrong and I'm right and I'm not listening to you and you're not listening to me. And we have this huge division because we live in a world where we have lots of weeds and no water, no truth. So as we move into this today, um, you know, I believe that, that God has, uh, has done something for us. And, uh, you know, he, he tells us that sometimes in a church we also fall into that category. Uh, when we tend to say to ourselves, sin doesn't matter, it's okay, God will forgive it. Or we say, um, I excuse sin because, you know what, um, it's okay. God, God will forgive me. God, God's just a, he's just a good guy. He's just a loving father. He's just going to take care of these things. And so when we excuse sin, we tend to think about this idea that, that says, uh, am I deceived? So you can flip to that, that slide if you would. Am I deceived? I want to ask you that question. Are you deceived? So I'll just use first person here because I don't want to point too many fingers right now. But I want to say I am deceived when I believe that sin doesn't matter. I am deceived when I excuse my sin based upon the fact that God will forgive. You know... Um, I listened to a lot of uh, radio when I was in the tractor the last couple weeks, and there was a couple times when I heard a, a, uh, a radio station out of Mason City, and, and there's a, 
an insurance agency around here that's trying to push uh, dropping the text. In other words, don't text and drive, okay? We all know that we shouldn't text and drive, correct? Is there anybody here that, no, I'm not going to ask that question. <laughs> we all know that we shouldn't text and drive. We all know that it only takes an instant for an accident to happen. We all know that texting is not the right thing to do while we're driving. However, how many of us have said in a moment that says, oh, it'll only take a second, and you pull up your phone. It'll only take a moment. I just want to shift this. I have to get this note out to whoever it is. I just, and we, we pick up the phone and we text knowing that we are putting our lives in danger and the people that are around us in danger because we know better than what the truth is. The truth is, it's dangerous to text and drive. But we excuse ourselves by saying, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't count for me. May I suggest that we are deceived even in our world, even as Christians. We can be deceived, and we deceive ourselves. So as we go into this passage, uh, if you're in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, I, I want to talk a little bit about the context first, because no verse in the Scriptures comes without some kind of pre-context to it. And so if, you're, if you have a Bible, look over at chapter 3 of, of, of Thessalonians, and you're going to see that Paul is writing this, this, uh, this, this letter to a group of Christians who are in Thessalonica. It's a church that's there. It's a small church. It's not very big. And uh, he, he talks about in the first chapter that, that they are a group of people who have a great faith, they have a great love, and they have great hope. And he, and he encourages them. He says, you have been doing this. You have a faith that walks before you. You love the Lord Jesus Christ. You love your brothers and sisters, and you have a hope of his coming in the future. And, and you operate your lives based upon those things. He talks in, in, in chapter um, 3 that he says that he wants to strengthen them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to say, keep doing what you're doing. This is a great church. This is a church that's got its act together for the most part. But if you look at chapter, if you look at the second letter that's given, 2 Thessalonians, there's a spot in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 where he says... But there are some people who have snuck into your world and have said that the return of Christ has already happened. That Jesus has already come back for his church and you've been left behind. And so they have begun to believe something that is not true and they're becoming, coming to the point where they're deceived because Paul had taught them in, in chapter 4 that they are to live in a way that pleases God and they're to look for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ which was going to happen in the rapture. That idea that we will be caught up to be with him in the air and, and forever be with him. So as he moves into chapter 5, he says these words, Now concerning how and when all this will happen. Now, when you look at that, you have to ask yourself the question, what's he talking about when all this will happen? Well, he's talking about what he just talked about, which is living your life for Christ and being ready with the hope of Jesus Christ that he's going to come back and take his, his church out of this world, out of this, this hole that we're in, this weedy, drought-infested world. We're going to be taken out of that. 
But he says, now concerning when and how this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord will return. See, there it is too. He says, in the context, it tells you what he's talking about. Now concerning when the day of the Lord will occur, the day of the Lord will return will, will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. For you are not in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised, for the day of the Lord will come like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day, and we don't belong to darkness and the light. So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is a time when people sleep and drinkers, drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by our armor of faith, our love, and the wearing of the helmet of salvation, of our, our, our confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his wrath upon us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we should live for him forever. We can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are doing. So Paul here is saying the first idea, which is the Lord's coming is going to be unexpected. It's going to be unexpected. He says it right there. He says, you know quite well that the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. He says here, you know. You, you know this. It has been given to you. The truth has been given to you, so you know this. So don't think that when, if you're still here that God has already come, that Jesus has already come. He hasn't. He hasn't come to get you. You see, the Lord's return will be unexpected, like a thief in the night. Now, I don't know if you've, any of you have ever had a, uh, um, a thief take something of yours or when it was taken, but I remember when I was in, in seminary that I had parked a car out behind our house and in there were all of my tools. And, uh, um, you know, for some reason I didn't lock that car that night and that night a thief came, unexpectedly. I didn't know he was coming and he took my tools. He stole them. I was violated that day. But you know what? I didn't know he was coming. Had I known, I'd have locked the car. I should have locked the car anyway. However, thieves do not come, and they are not here when you can expect them. You know, I was talking to Doug this morning. He said that this whole, this whole building is under surveillance, okay, that uh, they can stop people from coming in. And why do we do that? Because we don't know. It, it'll be unexpected if it happens, okay? We pray it doesn't ever happen. But you know what? It's, it's something that's unexpected. It's going to happen, but we'll not know when it happens. You see, he here is talking about this idea of the day of the Lord. Now, you may or may not have heard this concept before, uh, but the day of the Lord is a time that uh, is talked about in the Old Testament. So if you turn with me to uh, Zephaniah 1, and that's going to be on the screen here, and I'm going to read it off the screen up here. It says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Listen, the cry of the day of the Lord will be bitter, the shouting of a warrior there. The day will be like a, a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble, a ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. That doesn't sound very good, does it? 
It doesn't sound good at all. See, the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. It's a day when God is going to pour out his wrath upon this world for all those who have refused to follow Jesus and have nothing to do with God. It's the day when he is going to pour his judgment on this world. So he also talks about this in 1 Peter, the third chapter. I think that's the next slide back there. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Hmm. Peter and Paul have been talking. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit that's speaking. He says that the heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. If you've done any reading in Revelation, you know that some of the stuff is talked about in Revelation. It talks about that. And we don't have time to go through all that because Paul really is not talking about that. He's saying this day is coming and it's going to come like a thief. It's going to come unexpectedly. And so because it's going to come unexpectedly, you need to be thinking about what you're going to do. Now, there I think is a slide up there for uh, kind of a, a diagram, okay? Flip to that for me, will you? I kind of want to give you a little picture, an understanding of where this occurs. Um, can you find it there? Kind of red and green and blue diagram. No, it's not. A, it's going to be a picture. It didn't come up. Okay, well, it's not there. Okay? So let's, let's do a little diagram on the stage, okay? So let's just say that over here, on this side right over here, this is the time that Christ came and died for us. Okay? And then he died, and then he rose again, and on Acts 2, the church was born. Okay? Acts 2, the church was born. So everything prior to this is called Old Testament. It's the time when, we, when the Jews lived by the law and Jesus fulfilled the law, it says in Galatians. And so when, when the church is born, we no longer live under the law. We live under grace. We live by the forgiveness and our faith in Jesus Christ. And so for the next 2,000 years or more, we've gone this direction. And when this is called what I would call the church age, the time when the church is the one that God is working with, Okay. And Israel, it says in Romans, Romans that Israel has been set aside for a time. They, they are kind of underneath this whole thing. He's, he's kind of let them sit for right now, and he's going to come back over here, and he's going to graft them back in. But there's a point here where Christ is going to come again, and then the day of the Lord is going to begin because the rapture occurs right here, and then shortly thereafter, there's going to become a time of seven years of tribulation. It's called Jacob's trouble. It's also called um, the day of the Lord. It's called the judgment upon the world, okay? Um, and this is the day of the Lord. But prior to that time is the rapture of the church, the time when he will not allow us to go through his wrath. This is God's wrath, this, this tribulation time. It's exactly what you saw on the screen there, a time of gloom and terrible darkness and the time when God is going to judge the world. That's this. But right before that, he says, this is what 1 Thessalonians 4 was talking about, the time when he's going to come down out of the heavens, he's going to meet us in the air, and we're going to be caught up together with him in the air to be always with him. Prior to the wrath of God. When you think about that, you have to say to yourself, that will be fantastic. And see, well, you're just going to try and escape. You know what? Darn right I am. I don't want to live through that time. And God says in this word here, as we look at this, that we will not go through the wrath of God. 
He says in verse 9, For God chose to save you through the Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his wrath upon us. He chose to save us. You know, salvation can have two different parts. Salvation can be salvation from sin, so that we don't have to be judged for our sin, but salvation can also have a physical component that we are saved from something that God is going to pour out. He's going to pour out his judgment, and he's going to save us from it. He's going to remove us from that time so we don't walk through that time with him. You see, that's what he's talking about when we talk about the day of the Lord. He says, in that time, it's going to come like a thief in the night, but prior to that, prior to that day, the church, those who believe that Jesus Christ is their Savior and are walking with him, are going to be caught up to be with him. You see, the Lord's return is unexpected. So therefore, we need to be vigilant. We need to pull some weeds. You know, you don't have to look too far around us right now to see a lot of stuff going on in our world. Um, we were in Italy at Normandy um, on October 6th and 7th. And we had been watch, looking at all the graves that are there, and we'd seen the fortifications, and we'd seen wh where everything had taken place to free this world from the tyranny of Nazism back in 1941. And it was on that day that Israel was attacked. And people have been asking me, so do you think that that's, uh, is, that, is that prophesied in the Scriptures? I said, no, I don't think it's prophesied, but I think it's a forewarning. It's a forewarning. It's a picture of what's going to happen. It's happening, but it's not, it's not the final battle. It's not the battle that's going to occur uh, that we're seeing in the Scriptures, but it's a forewarning of what's going to happen. And if your eyes aren't perked up to Israel, I encourage you, start to look at what Israel's happening. And by the way, don't look at the national news for this. You cannot find it there. Okay, You have to go to different locations. If you want some of those locations, come up to me afterwards. I'll give you some places where you can get good news that comes out of Israel and will tell you the truth. So the first thing we need to know is we need to be, be vigilant to be pulling some weeds. Verse 5 and 6 talk about this. It says here, but you, this is verse 4, but you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. It's going to come like a thief. You know, some of us are going to be saying as we're going up, man, I didn't expect this to happen today. <laughs> That's how it should be, okay? We're not going to know. We're, it's all, all of a sudden it's going to happen, and it's going to go up. We're going to go up. He says, but you aren't in the dark, for you are children of light, and of the day, and we don't belong to the darkness and the, on the night. So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Stay alert and clear-headed. You know, I, I'm afraid that many in the church today, and I'm going to use this church as big church, okay? Um people of every denomination and every faith, okay? Uh, and I believe that in every church there are some believers. But I think there's a lot of unbelievers in some of our churches today also. And there are some of us who are asleep. In fact, I think there's many of us who are asleep. We excuse sin. 
we let it go. Um, there's some signs that are given to us in 1 Peter. It's not 1 Peter, 1 Timothy. Uh, <clears throat> 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Uh, the first verse says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith, and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. I'm sorry, I just drove by a church here today coming into town, and uh, there's a rainbow flag on the church, and it's been stolen from God. The rainbow is not a sign of transgenderism, all the other things. It's a sign of the, of the, the promise of God that he will not destroy the earth again with water. These people have, are listening to the teachings of spirits that are from demons. They're deceived. Now, we can say that, and we can say, yeah, I, I agree with you, Pastor. That's true. I agree. Let's take a look at another one. 2 Timothy, the third chapter, the first verse. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be diff very difficult times. Notice it says very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love and loving pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like this. Why would he say, stay away from people like this, unless he's talking about those in the church? Because he tells us we're to be out among the people who don't believe because we need to, to touch their lives. So he's not telling us to stay away from the unbeliever. He's telling us to stay away from the believer who has been deceived and has these parts in his life. Or to call them out to say, no, we can't do it this way. You see, it says that they are love only themselves. They are boastful. They are proud. They've excused sin. In the church, we've excused sin. When I say that, I don't, I don't excuse myself. I find myself struggling less and less as I grow older and older, but I find myself struggling nonetheless. And I find myself coming back to the point where I say I need to ask God's forgiveness again. We were in a Bible study uh, last Sunday night, and the Lord actually brought this one to my mind this morning. He said, uh, I want you to tell them about Psalm 139. But there's a specific verse I want you to, to listen to here. Psalm 139. If you remember the psalm, the psalm was all about how God knows us intimately. He's made us. He's done all those things for us. 
And then verse 23, the, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that offends you and lead me in a path that leads to everlasting life. You want to know how to pull weeds? You let God identify the weed. And then allow him to help you pull it. But this is a prayer of a man who was called the friend of God. He loved God. David did. And yet he says, there are things in my life that can offend God. You see, we need to be vigilant in our understanding. If, if Jesus is coming back today, if he's coming back today, are you ready? Have you pulled the weeds that you know that need to be pulled? This uh, last week, actually it was last Sunday, to be perfectly honest. I'm working for a farmer, and he, he was going to work on Sunday, and so I said, okay, I'll, I'll work, I'll do what you need me to do on Sunday. I'll help you out. We'll get the crop out of the field faster if we do this. So if you remember last Sunday, last Sunday was a nice sunny day. It was about, oh, 50 degrees in the morning, maybe it got up to 60. I was sitting in a, in a cab of a tractor, and uh, so I'm running a grain cart. I wish I had the picture up there. It's not here. But this is a big grain cart. It's got a great big auger that comes off the side over here like this. And uh, so the rule is to do this. You're supposed to retract the auger when you go into a field and open a field up. You're supposed to pull the auger back down so it's not hanging out there. So for some reason, I had my auger out. I don't know why, but I didn't think about it. I didn't think about the rule, all right? And so I'm just, we're going to go open up a field, and we're driving around the outside edge of this field, around the, 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 the head rows of this field. And there's only, it's only eight feet, or uh, eight rows wide, which is, you know, it's, it's a good size, but it's not big enough for this equipment. This equipment is huge, okay? When I stand beside the tires, I look up to the top of the tire, okay? And so as we're driving around the outside of this field, I, I have an earbud in one ear, and, and it's, uh, it's talking about, uh, I'm, I'm listening to some worship music, because I thought, well, at least I, I can worship out here while I'm driving this tractor around. I'm following a combine, and he's about, uh, about 20 to 30 feet ahead of me. I just got to kind of stay within shot of him. And as I'm driving around the field, uh, the, first, the first part of the field I didn't have to worry about, and I turned the corner, and I wasn't thinking about anything other than following that combine, and all of a sudden, off the side of my mirror over here, off this side over here, I see this post go, kink. I stop immediately, because it's kind of like, that post isn't supposed to come down. And I look out there, and up here, there are two highline wires, and they're just swinging. And the post that held those highline wires up is laying on the ground. And my auger had caught that post because I didn't retract the post, retract the auger. I go down to the end of the, I finally, I call the guy who I'm working with, the combine driver, say, I pulled down a highline post. He says, you did what? I said, I pulled down a highline post with my auger. Well, come on down here, we'll take a look at it. We go down there, we see that the auger has been damaged. There's been some damage to the auger. Um, so he can't unload anything, can't do anything with it right now. And so he says, just fold it down and go back, up to the, go back up to the yard and tell the owner what you've done. Okay? Um, so as I'm driving back up the field, I look 
ahead of me and there's a fire in the field. So the high line had sparked and they started a fire in the field. Now it's in the, it's in the eight rows right now and I holler over the radio, got a fire, everybody comes running. We get the fire out, okay? But by that time, the owner's there, and he says, how did this happen? I said, well, this is what happened. I explained to what's going on. And we look at that, that auger, and we're thinking, man, that, we've got to repair that, but I don't know how we're going to do it. Now, I don't need to go any farther than the story to tell you what was going on there was I was asleep at the wheel. Now, I wasn't asleep. I wasn't preoccupied. I just was not paying attention. I was deceived into thinking I could walk around, I could drive around that field with my auger out and it wouldn't make it a better difference. It made a huge difference. Now that's just a story about being unaware, being daydreaming, being what, whatever you want to call that, okay? Oh, by the way, um, we did get the auger fixed and the, and. And uh, it's, it's, it's a laughing point with me and, my, and the owner. We laugh about it now. It's all fixed. It's taken care of. Uh, it, but it's not taken care of in here. I still feel bad. Isn't that the way sin is? When we excuse sin and we finally get caught and God confirms it in our lives and, and then we confess the sin and yes, Lord, I know you've forgiven me, but I still feel bad. You see, we need to be vigilant about our lives in terms of what's going on in our lives. And I don't know, um, I don't know what's in your lives. I don't really know you. If I were your pastor, uh, I would probably know more. But I don't need to know. I just know that uh, the scripture tells me in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Whatever I struggle with, you're struggling with. That's what it tells me. That's the truth. We all struggle with those things we already talked about. The question is, how are we dealing with them? What are we doing? Are we being vigilant with those things? Because we're not of the darkness. We're of the light. It says, night is a time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing our helmet of, of the confidence of our salvation. That's the hope of our salvation. Knowing the hope of our salvation is God's going to come, Jesus is going to come and he's going to take us to be with him. That's the hope of our salvation. We're going to be with God forever because of our faith and the love we have for the brethren. So he tells us to prepare ourselves. Be on guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and clear-headed. The idea is to protect yourself, to daily walk with the Lord by faith. Say, Holy Spirit, give me what I need to do this day. Show me where I offend you. Tell me how I can walk closer to you. You know, that 1 Corinthians passage says that 
No temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. Any temptation comes with an open door on the other side or close to it that says, here's the way to run away from it. Here's how you get out of it. But if we're deceived, we don't really want to know about that. We just want to excuse the sin and go on through the sin, through the temptation, through the sin. And then on the other side, we'll say, oh, Lord, just forgive me, would you please? And then we walk on like it never happened. Now, that's deceived. What he's really saying to us is, will you mourn for your sin? Will you look for the, the way of escape before you hit the yielding to the sin? Prepare yourself with the faith and love and hope that is given to you so that you may have self-control and pure motives and looking for the hope of our salvation, knowing that he will return at any moment. When you were in high school, just take yourself back to that point. For some of us, a long time ago. For some of us, not so far Okay, but just think about it a minute. When you're in high school, you kind of have some ideas about things you want to do, and maybe mom and dad weren't okay with those things. And so mom and dad, one day, they went away for a trip someplace, and they were going to be gone for, you know, a day or two days or whatever. And, and, and at that time, you just say, hey, this is my time to do what I want to do. And then mom and dad came home early. What happened? You were, you were surprised. You were not expecting them. You see, we've got to prepare ourselves. And the imminency of the return of Christ, the imminency, in other words, it can happen. The most solid reason to stay engaged with your Savior, knowing that he could come at any moment. And I don't want to be caught by him in my sin. Neither do you. I think we lost the mic. I think this tape in this thing, so I can't just talk out. So the idea here is to encourage the brethren, and that's what I'm doing today. It says in verse 11, So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you're already doing. May I say to you, I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on, but I know this is a good church. Okay? You are already building the brothers up. You are taking care of one another. You are looking after each other. But in any church, even that does that, in every church I've been in, I found people that did just that exact thing. And yet at the same time, as they were doing that, there were some over here that were just kind of screwing around, just kind of playing church. Kind of just doing what they want to do, and you know, God will forgive me. So every church has got all those things in it. So I just want you to encourage you, number one, to pull some weeds. In fact, before we conclude here, we're going to pray that prayer out of Psalm 139 together. We're going to ask God to show us what offends him. And then I want you to water the truth. Water the seeds. These are the seeds that have been given, so water them. So I would encourage you this week, actually today or tomorrow, to go back and reread this passage. 
Maybe even start at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. Just read to the end of it. You know, it'll take you about five minutes. It's only five chapters. So when you look at that, you say to yourself, I could do that. Lord, show me what's in this word that I can see for myself. But encourage one another. Encourage one another in the faith. Encourage one another in love. And be steadfast in your understanding that Jesus could come at any moment. And you want to be standing up ready for him to come. So let's pray together. And we're going to pray that last prayer. I'm, going to, I'm just going to pray it. I just want you to silently pray along with me as we go through this. Father God, um, your word is truth and we want to water it today. We want to give it some ground in our lives that can, it can just be fruitful. But we also need to pull some weeds, Father. And you know, I've been pulling them since I wrote this sermon. But I want uh, your Spirit of God to do that for us. Father, search us. Look inside us. And see if there's anything that offends you in our lives. Any sin that we're excusing, Father. Any sin that we are just saying doesn't matter. Lord, would you just help us to pull that weed? And if we need a brother or sister to help us pull it, Father, would we gather them around us and ask for some help? Father, I just pray for this congregation, for this body of believers, that as they wait for you to come, Jesus, that they would wait in purity and holiness, living their lives in ways that are honoring to you, are sharing their faith with the people that are around them, preparing themselves for your coming. And Lord, as we see the, the, the signs all around us that seem to indicate a convergence of all these things happening all at once, Lord, would you uh, remind us that you're coming soon. Father, you're standing up. You're getting ready to make the call for, for your bridegroom to come get his bride. Lord Jesus, make us ready. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.